You're listening to the Thoroughbred Podcast, an elite business leadership podcast. Hey guys, this is John Wentworth. Welcome back to the Thoroughbred Podcast. I certainly appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate all of the five-star likes and I appreciate you subscribing. So click that button, subscribe. We're going to continue to bring you, you know, elite information from thoroughbreds. A thoroughbred is an elite business person. And, you know, as I've said in the past, I think being an elite business person, it's not about how much money you make. It's about how you serve people. And uh, today we're, we're extremely flattered to have uh, Pastor Jim Wiegand from the Fenton Freedom Center joining us. And, uh, you know, before we got on air, uh, we were talking a little bit about what are we going to talk about, which... We never really know totally, but uh, but Jim, welcome and thank you for being here. Thanks, thanks for having me. It's fun. Well, we haven't even begun yet, but it's gonna be fun. <laughs> you so promised we, me lunch. I showed up. <laughs> oh yeah, someone call for lunch. So before we talked, to, before we went on the air, you one of the things you mentioned was you know preaching at a homeless shelter um, shortly after you met the Lord at a at a rock yeah. concert. So yeah. I think that's a really good lead in. Let's start there. Yeah, I you know my life doesn't start with elite anything. Um, the the family history is uh, addiction and divorce, and uh, you know it's a real mess. And then well, we've got that in common. Yeah, yeah, and and there's then there's you become really either the product of that or there's some decisions that are made either not to fight that or to fight that. I went with not fighting it. I, I was by the time I was 16 years old, I was sleeping in the back seat of my. 65 Buick Electra. I was uh, sweet an, ride. I was an addict. It was yeah. It was cool from Florida too. It rusted you were from an the addict. Top down. What, what does that mean? You were an addict of what? Yeah. Well, alcohol, uh, drugs. Uh, that was kind of back in the old days. You had to be rich to do cocaine, and I wasn't rich. Heroin wasn't available where I was at. Thank God. Thank God. Um, the opiates weren't out yet, so it was it was dope. It was. Uh, I think that the thing that we enjoyed most was just acid, dropping acid. It was. It wasn't expensive. Um, uh, my, my parents moved to Florida when I was 16 years old, so there was nobody to catch me, you know, doing right, it or whatever. Right. So you, you had time to kind of go on a trip and come back, that what, kind of stuff. What do you think takes us to that spot? You know, I always think about the environment <clears throat> and the people we surround ourselves with. And so coming totally. from a broken home, essentially, right, yeah, you yeah. end up probably uh, in the wrong circle. Right. Well, and it's funny because identity is something everybody wants. And, and hopefully your father says, I'm proud of you. Your mother says, you're the smartest kid at that school. Your girlfriend says, I'm lucky to have you. But, you know, most of the time that doesn't happen in people's lives. So you, you look for people to say you're welcome here. And sometimes when you have no group, the group that has no, no, no standards is the one that's the most welcoming. The sometimes. one that's most welcoming. Yeah. I, I always say that. I mean, you know, if I'm in a group, uh, in a room with a group of people, I, ra- I say, raise your hand if you were raised on guilt and shame. Yeah. Right. You know, it's 95% of the room. Yeah. Right. Which is, you know, right. scary. It really well, it's, is. it's a it's a cheap way to motivate people, isn't it? You could build a relationship and, and call greatness out of them, but that takes trust and that takes time. Yep. Or you can say, if you don't do this, you're a loser. And and the, the results can look the same, but they're really not. The, why we do what we do is more important than what we end right. up doing. Well, and that was very that was very conducive of my upbringing. My dad told me, you're no good. You're never going to be any good. Mm. You're never going to make it at anything. You're an all-American screw up. Yeah. And it it you know, it, it drove me to a point. I mean, I don't want to change anything. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I just want to learn how to, how to motivate my children differently. Right. On. But it did yeah. move me to a place where finally I said, watch, yeah, you know, right. I, I'll, I'll show you. I'll show you. Yeah. But yeah. a lot of people don't go that, don't go there. They yeah. go, uh, and I they go the I other way. I didn't have that person. I didn't have that, that coach or that teacher or that pastor that said, I see something in you and I want to pull it out. What I had was just kind of the path of least resistance. Who, who won't reject me? That was a certain crowd right. who, you know, and at the end of that, you end up becoming a slave to what everybody else is enslaved to. And it wasn't until I walked into this, this rock concert because this girl, you know, when you're 16 years old, a oh, girl, yeah, invites I'll go you wherever, to, right? yeah, girl invites <laughs> you to hell, you take your squirt gun and go. You know what I mean? So I, I went, it turned out it was a... Uh, an evangelistic event where they were kids that wouldn't go to church but go to a rock concert especially right. if a pretty girl invited them and it, I, it's hard to explain but I walked in with no religion and a, a militant atheist but I in that night I, I met my creator like face to face walked out completely changed and and not having read the bible not having right. ever been to church not having any religious upbringing I walked out saying I, it was like I was blind and, and you were how old then? 16, 16 junior in high school wow yeah and I can relate to that because I had no upbringing in the church. I had no involvement at all in, you know, it was funny because even without that, I, I would pray. Yeah. Even without that, there was some belief system already built in me. Sure. And, uh, but I still had, I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. And that wasn't until I went to a, a men's retreat at St. John's yep. like seven yeah. years ago. But the same thing happened. Yeah. I met the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, and you know, I walked out of there like, 
and I thought that I was doing things so well. Yeah. <laughs> and I realized, holy cow, I've got so much more to do. Yeah. So it's interesting how when people say, how do you mean you met him? Yeah. You know, I, I that's why I say it's hard to explain. I, if And I don't mean to make somebody has something somebody else doesn't. But if, if you were blind and you never saw, and I said, man, I just saw the color blue. Now, how do I describe to someone who can't see what the color blue right. is like? Well, it's, you know, red would be hot and blue would be cold. I, I described heat, but I didn't describe sight. So how do you right. describe, I, I think religion gives you the form, teaching gives you the information, maybe your home gives you a foundation, but every person needs their own individual revelation of who God is. And that happens because we seek somebody, we find him. We don't seek somebody, we don't. We don't you right. know? So you went to a men's retreat knowing it was with the church, knowing what we'd be talking about is I thought God, it'd be good for business. Was, yeah, right. I right, mean, right, I was network. like, oh, there's going to be there's gonna be a bunch yeah. of people there? Well, yeah. that'll be great for business. Yeah. I thought it'd be good was, for my love life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How'd that the work men's out? retreat, by the way, the concert. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I think, I think, there's a part of us that was looking, but again, how do you give language? Sure. Part, I'm empty, and I, but I, I seem as empty as everybody around me. So I'm normal, you know? I, I mean, think you look for normalcy. I mean, I remember specifically, like, I cried the entire time. It's an overnight event, and yeah. I cried the entire time. People were like, like, a lot of people cry during this, but it's, you know, here and there. Yeah. I cried the entire right. time. And that's the Holy Spirit, right? It's that's the Holy Spirit, heart. 100%. Yeah. And it was, it was finding that moment of forgiveness for my mom. Yeah, which right. lifted a huge weight off of me. Yeah, but yeah. then the next thing that I realized is that I, I needed to have forgiveness for my dad too. Yeah, yeah. And, and that took a little bit longer, but literally, I mean, the Holy Spirit came to me at night and, mm-hmm. and, and it was, I mean, I woke up crying, believe it or not. Yeah. But you know, the, the moment was a vision of my mom that slowly turned into my wife. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was God saying to me, it's okay. Yeah. You can let go now, Yeah, you know, yeah, right and the next day, um, during uh, somebody else's speech, the guy's up on, up on stage, which is like five feet from me and he takes a photograph and he turns it around and it's my mom. Okay. And I'm just, of course, bawling, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm like, what in the world? And I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm, I feel like I'm in a cartoon. Like if I scratch my eyes, that's going to change. Yeah. It was continuum. Finally, I walked up to it and I picked it up and it wasn't her. Hmm. It was his wife. Right. But again, that was God pushing yeah. that envelope. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, and the final thing was there's a chance where you come to the altar with this box of all the stuff that you are, you're able to forgive. Wow. And, you know, again, that's another moment. I mean, just bawling. Everybody left yeah. the room. I didn't want to leave. I didn't <laughs> yeah. want to leave my box. Yeah. And at first I was mad at the box. <laughs> But that's how I met the Lord. And, you know, it was a, it was a tremendous blessing. And so that leads into as on fire as I was then. And for the next six months, one year, it's difficult to stay burning like that. I mean, it really is. How does somebody like me, like, I would love to protect that a little more. How do you do that? Well, I, th- I think in any relationship, the first six months a year, you know, that's the falling in love. That's the getting to know each other. That's the figuring it out. Gosh, but, see, everything's just like dating. Yeah. yeah well, there, <laughs> there is there is a romance. There is a, uh, you know, Ephesians, Paul talks about we are the bride of Christ. So Christ being the groom there. And that's that's not like we're actually going to be, you know, wearing a white dress walking down the aisle. But it, but he's talking about a covenant. Like courting. And a, yeah, there's a type of relationship. So what's the most euphoric months of any relationship it's going to be the first months right but from there there's a maturity there's a decision there's a covenant there's a so now i say that you want to go back and start all over again and find and fall in love with a new girl or do you want to stay attached to your wife that you have all this history with it's it's a simple answer right i want to keep i want to keep growing and building so yeah so i think trying to make it what it was is impossible because it was what it was because you were blind and you could see but after a year of seeing it, that's just that's, a tree. That's, that's a great just point. a wall. Yep. You know what I mean? So, but, but I and would say this. Sometimes I feel guilty for that. And, yeah. and that makes me feel like I don't need to. I think that's a great explanation yeah. of, hey, it just is what it is. It's okay. Right. But then how do you still. Well, I would say this that the, like I, everybody around me as a young adult will tell you this being single at the Freedom Center is like being on a game show where I get points for setting everybody up. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> so. If the vicarious joy of seeing someone else fall in love reminds me of that first year, the vicarious joy of seeing somebody go to yeah. a retreat and, and 
and weep over that box and get free. Sure. That that's if you oh, want to feel it again and again, then it's vicarious from here on out. For sure. Not, I mean, yeah. when I then got on on the committee and and, and yeah. ran and set it up, yeah. you know, I mean, I invited so many darn people that we had to change the venue. <laughs> but that's what it was yeah. all about: was writing those letters, collecting yeah. those letters, sharing those letters, sharing that that box, and watching the weeping. You know, and yeah. knowing what's going on inside of them. One yeah. of my best friends, who's a French Canadian, um, and uh, you know. I mean, same thing, right? Just kind of fell away. Uh, a big dude, big, strong dude. And, you yeah. know, I mean, he had a tremendous experience and, and you know, cried hard. And yeah. and then shared with me, you know, that was, there was way more than you could ever know that's been going on, why that was so powerful for me. So, right. you know, one of the things for me, I'm just a big believer in people because everybody has stuff yeah. at the end of the day. And I think that's just the root of humans. And I just, it, it sometimes I wonder why are people so... You know, like we said before, why are people so worried about where you go to church rather mm-hmm. than if you go to church? Yeah, I, I think I think two things are happening. I think um, I think unfortunately the church has become a little bit more businesslike than it than it should be. We're actually teaching on this right now, and we're looking at the church as an institution. But it's got to have it's got to have funds to run. You know, yeah, but I mean, not not so much. Think of it this way: there's funds to run, but then there's I'm going to grow my business. Well, how do you do that? Well, right. there's two ways: you can you can create a new customer, you can steal a customer from somebody else. You can, you know what I mean? And I and I think. I think that there's been a, a dynamic change in the last two decades of the church. It used to be everybody went to church. Then people stopped going to church for the most part. And then we, we started, if the bigger the church, the better the church. If there's only 2% of the churches in the United States that have an attendance of 1,000 people or more. So those are the people that write the books, teach the seminars, the podcasts are listened to. So the unconscious message is bigger is better. But your experience didn't happen in a stadium. Your experience happened right. at a men's retreat. Right. So it's not true. There, my, my experience happened with 100 kids, 150 kids at a concert. Sure. That's not true. The size of the crowd does not determine fruitfulness. Right. And you can't define the success. So what happens is, if we're not careful, we begin to say, not only is our church good, our church is better than blah, blah, blah. Now compound that with a pastor who's been theologically trained. And the reason... There is a college for the Baptists, for the Methodists, for the Assemblies of God, for the Catholics, and so forth. It's because there's a firm belief in those who, who lead those institutions that they, they have a greater substance in their truth than other truths. So when we teach at, at the, the university level, I've taught PhD classes, when, when you're doing that, what you say is, this is what others believe, this is why we believe they're in error, and this is what we believe. Now, when we as pastors and leaders and priests and rabbis start talking, we have a firm belief that our beliefs are better than everybody else's beliefs, and we're in competition with others. Can you see what the problem right. is? Well, it sounds like realtors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they all have yeah. a firm belief that they're better than everybody else because of these reasons. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I, think, I think they're sincerely held wrong beliefs. So I think the guy that's going to win in the end, especially in the church world, is, is the giver, not the getter. It's the right. one that's, that's blessing everybody, not cursing everybody, and we're the only blessed place. Sure. I, I, I think it's very dangerous, even cult-like, to believe we're the only ones that really have it, right. and everybody else, therefore, is lost and wrong. But, but and, don't you think, though, too, like, and, and I'm not ta- I don't talk about any of that stuff because I don't know any about <laughs> anything about it, but, you know, I just remember, like, um, it, a mother and a child arrived at my doorstep one day, which, you know, we live in a spot that it's not like walking traffic, you know, right. so it was, it was different. And, uh, and I opened the door and, you know, it's a lady and her, and her, ch- her child who was probably, I was going to guess eight or nine. Yeah. And uh, I go, Hey, how you guys doing? They said, we're great. Um, and then she looked to, she deferred to her son and, and they said, we're Jehovah witness. Would you yeah. mind if we read a verse, uh, to you from the Bible. And I said, no, I'd love right. it. Read it. Say no to a nine-year-old kid. What kind uh-huh. of person are you? <laughs> but I said, no, I'd love it. Read it. Now I had already had my experience. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know me, so I still would have said read it, but I really wanted to hear it. Yeah. yeah. I didn't care where it came from because it yeah. came from the book. And yeah. yes, I know they have their beliefs and they pick out their spots and yeah. change that. But the ironic thing was, it was beautiful, the mm-hmm. verse, by the way. And about two years later, now this is really ironic, this is the this is the Lord. Mm-hmm. When my dad got really sick, you know, um, like he was on a ventilator for two weeks, damn near right, died. Right, yeah. I just swore. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about that too. <laughs> but you know, so when he was released from the hospital, he, yeah. we moved him into our our house. He lived yeah. with us for about six months, and um, and so as he started to get better, he was he was driving me around to my appointments. That was a way for me to get him back outside. It was a way for me to spend some time with him. And we did not have a good relationship. And, you know, and so it it was a little bit 
a little bit awkward actually. Right. Um, he ended up going to the retreat also and was saved, Neat. which was awesome. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's actually, I'm, I'm giving him a shout out now. Not like he's going to be listening to a podcast. He doesn't even know what that is. But um, <laughs> when he was sick at our house and, and we didn't have a relationship, yeah. he didn't have anywhere else to go. So right. he was in our house. And I, you know, I talked about this a little bit actually when I spoke at the Freedom Center, but you know, he was, he was on a ventilator for two weeks. So he was very frail. And to walk that person to the shower and shower him and then put lotion on the feet of this man, I could never have done that prior to meeting the Lord. Right. I never could have. But because I had forgiven him, and it was still hard because you don't forget. Yeah. But but I never could have done that. And so long story short, where we ended up in in a different space was he drives me to this home, get out, go to the front door lady answers the door and I said hello and she said hello and I said you look familiar and she mm-hmm. said we were at your house two years ago wow she remembered just like that huh wow well I'm sure she knew when I when she called me okay right yeah, right and so her son was there and they were moving to Florida and that's just an example of why you know you treat everybody good absolutely you know and I, I just mm-hmm. so it always intrigues me because not having any you know any involvement in the church other than my grandma dragging me once in a while when yeah. I was there you know it always intrigues me all of these different things and you know as you know I'm Catholic I attend mm-hmm. St. John's but I come to your church as well and sure. I and I love it there you know and yeah. I I think that it just is an intriguing question to me yeah um, and I know that people say well you know well like if they see me here they go well weren't you just at the Freedom Center right and I go yeah well, weren't you just at St. John's? I hear it from both sides. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, yeah, and I'm going to keep doing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So well, let's yeah. talk a little bit more about, get off of that subject a little bit, I guess. But uh, just tell me about your family, your hobbies. Wow. Um, what do you do when you're not uh, preaching, which is probably preaching. But uh, yeah. tell me about your, I mean, we know JD. Tell us, you know, just a little bit about for the listeners that don't know your wife and don't know JD and don't know yeah. your daughter, all these other people. Do you have a daughter? In-law. In-law. Yeah, okay. Yes, so that's yeah. a daughter. Just yeah. tell us a little bit about your family and who you are. Yeah. So 29 years ago, I'm standing in the fourway in Mesa, Arizona, and my pastor's wife, from serving as a youth pastor, my pastor's wife comes in and says, hey, why don't you meet this family? They just showed up and they're looking for a church. So I get out of the broom closet that is my office and I walk down the stairs and there is this uh, 19-year-old, now I'm, I'm 22, she's 19, and she's she's got on a pink shirt, uh, blue jean coveralls. She's got on white Converse high tops with a red star on the heel. She has Farrah Fawcett hair. I think Chris is wearing those. Oh my God. Yeah. See, <laughs> and he has Farrah Fawcett hair too. Yeah. And uh, man, I, I, I said, hi, my name's Jim. She's, and she has this Oklahoma accent. She goes, my name's Dana. And we had this great little conversation, just getting to know everybody. And this is what we do. And you're welcome. We hope to see you again. She walked out the door and the guy that I was standing with, he was the church janitor. He was a state wrestling champion. So he, he's got the build of the Tasmanian devil. He's, right. he's a triangle, upside down triangle. And I, and uh, he said, man, she's cute. If, if she comes to this church, I'm going to ask her out. And I turned him, I said, you do. And I'll break both your legs. And he said, what? I said, I, I said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. So we, she ended up coming to the church. We were best friends for six to eight months. <laughs> And then uh, I asked her on the first date, and she uh, she said yes, and we were very accountable to everybody around us. Just did it right. right. You know what I mean? Three weeks to, to the day of our first date, I asked her to marry me, and she said no. And then the next day, said yes. She repented of her sins, John. She got right <laughs> with God. And that was 29 years ago. And then, uh, yeah, within a short amount of time, uh, our son Joshua was born. He's 27. And then three years later, our son JD was born. And uh, is JD's name JD? It's James David Jr. Gotcha. So okay. we call him JD because if he's in trouble, I don't want to jump. So it's right. James David. I don't want to be the one that. So it's JD. You know that kind of stuff. So, yeah. but they they gave us very little trouble. They they had a couple of friends that were trouble, but for the most part, it, they they never gave us a bit of trouble. And uh, awesome kids. And Joshua got married five years ago, our oldest, and to our our absolutely perfect daughter in law. I mean, she's. I, I never really wanted a daughter because I wouldn't know how to wrestle with one or teach one how to shoot or right. you know, got a deer with your daughter. I wouldn't know how to do that. <laughs> but we got this this daughter-in-law that if I could make one out of spare body parts, that's that's who she is. She's perfect. And then they gave us our first grandson, December 15th, awesome. Hollis, Hollis James Wiegand, the, awesome. the first. And he's... He's brilliant in every way, you know, on his worst day, he's just a little less than perfect, <laughs> according to grandpa anyway. So how do you, I mean, you know, we always hear grandparents say, oh, it's so much better to have grandparents than yeah. children. And maybe you're not quite there yet because the baby's a baby. Yeah, like it's four months old. No, it's, I, you know, everything's a mystery until you experience you're right. it. You know what I mean? I, all my married friends, oh, you got to get married. It's like, it can't be that great. You get married, oh, it's that great. And, you know, you become that guy that says, and they have kids, sure. oh, you gotta have kids, and I, I, but then you have them. Grandkids were, 
you know, I loved my children so much for, for so long. You almost think it can't be better than that. How could this be better? And, but it is. And it's, uh, sorry, it's, JD. It's just different. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's better. I think because when he cries, he's not my problem. You and, can hand him back. Yeah. Over. When he smells, it's not my problem. Huh. And when he's hungry, it's not my problem. And I, so all I have to do is enjoy this, this evolving, adorable, chunky monkey, you know, being, and right. it is, it is the best part of my day. We just got to spend a week in Dallas over spring break. Josh Lauren and Hollis came with us. So I got to be a part of his daily routine, the the good morning. And then day, you got to goals. leave. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, he takes a nap every two hours. I take one every four hours. So we, so were, we got along perfect. really well. Yeah, did a double shift. So Tell us good. about your childhood, your parents, yeah. your upbringing. You know, you mentioned you came from a broken home. I guess dive into that a little bit more. I can certainly relate to that. And, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's funny when I give my witness, you know, I always say to people when I before I do this, I don't want you to feel bad for me and I don't want you to yeah. Because because some people said I feel bad that I had such a good upbringing. Well, don't feel no, bad. Embrace that, yeah. right? So tell us about a little yeah, bit about my, that. My Whichever father, you want to share. My father passed away about a year and a half ago of Alzheimer's. He was uh, an executive for Ford Motor Company, one of the pioneering engineers of the Taurus project. He was the, in charge of that. So Motor Trend Car of the Year came out of my dad's head. You know what I mean? And one of their one of their flagship brands, uh, right. For for years. So highly successful, extraordinarily motivated. Um, sharp as a whip and then and then you know a year later doesn't know who he is and who you are that was yeah. that was devastating yeah, but definitely. when my parents were uh, when i was five my uh, my parents split up my mom um and my father both immediately were, were into new relationships i moved to florida i had uh four first grade teachers because of the, the you know the separation right the moving 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 um, and life's pretty normal. My older brother had four first grade teachers too. That's just really they all that's, kicked me out of their class. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got straight A's. Hey, weekend, shut up. Hey, weekend, give me that knife. You know. So we uh, you know, we moved to Florida. Everything's new. I'm one of a small number of, of Caucasian kids in a in a, uh, a neighborhood that didn't have a lot of Caucasians. I'm getting beat up every day. I'm, I'm scared. But you know, it's funny when you're a kid. Everything's normal. Nothing. Yeah, for not, sure. And everything's pleasant. It's, everything's it's normal. It's like when we you went know? to Haiti. So yeah. you know, we went to <laughs> right. Haiti together, which was an amazing trip. But that was one of the things that stood out to me the most: is the kids didn't care. No idea. They're the ki- dirt poor. They yeah. have no clue. Yeah. But the the sixteen, the fifteen, sixteen, seventeen year olds. Right. I felt odd around because yeah. they looked at us differently. Yeah, don't look at me like I'm a zoo animal that that needs your your pity. Right. Yeah, they resent it, right. and, and rightly so. We and we didn't look at them that way. We no, looked at them with great not. potential, but right. they're afraid of that. Take the picture with the poor Haitian kid. They've caught on to the fact that right, you know, that some people are on vacation, some people are on mission. You right. know what I mean? Right. And we were on mission, and we loved them. So anyway, yeah. but we moved around a lot. Uh, ended up back in Michigan. My dad was in construction, so we we built a home, lived in it for six months, and built the next one. Constantly buying, flipping, selling, remodeling, all that stuff. That's how we made our living primarily. And older brothers and sisters, I'm the youngest of the seven children between the two families. So I, I get left out of a lot of the drama. I, you know, you, you do what you're told. As long as there's ice cream at the end of the meal, everybody's happy. You know, we, we had seasons of poverty that I wasn't really aware of. We had seasons of great hardship and strife I wasn't aware of. The kids were, you know, my older brothers and sisters were doing a lot of drugs and partying. And I remember coming home and the house was loaded with kids I didn't know. My dad yelling right. at them. But I don't remember... I, you know, again, everything's normal until you have something to compare it to. And at seven, eight, nine, what, what are you comparing right, it to? Exactly. It's, just, it's my life. And I didn't know other people's lives were different. So as you get older, um, because I was the youngest, it was kind of, I had a lot more freedoms because they were kind of not done raising kids, but they, they knew not to be so anal about it. You know what I mean? So that gave me some freedom. I didn't always use it the right way, but at 16, they moved to Florida. My, my dad was uh, broke his back in three places in a in a construction accident. My stepfather did rather, so they moved away. Gave me the option to go with them or to stay, and so I stayed. But and like you would say, like don't feel bad for me. I I'm Huckleberry Finn. I right. I get to live in a '65 Buick Electra, go anywhere I want, skip any day of class I want. I I'm having a, maybe one of the greatest times of my entire <laughs> life. So this poor homeless hungry kid. I I was hungry, but I, I go to the bowling alley and they had the old bus trays. Right, they'd, they'd bust the tables. I just grab some pizza or have a burger, or whatever. And I I mean I ate and it was. It was not, it was poverty, but it was fun. It was an adventure. So I graduated high school. My sister's brilliant. The joke is my my sister graduated Sigma Cum Laude. I graduated, oh, thank you, Laude. You know, it's by the grace of right, God, they right, let me out. No and I got tired of people telling me what to do. So I joined the army, which seemed to make sense in 1983, but didn't make sense overall and loved the military, uh, what it gave to me and what I was able to give to it and uh, law enforcement and all that stuff. So and then uh, went back to my addictions. You know, that concert gave me an experience, but I went back to my 
addictions in the military. And so after meeting the Lord, you went back. I went back. Yeah, you know, a concert, a men's retreat's great, but without without something to build your life on, well, without teaching, what, without and friendship. That's what we talked about earlier. How yeah. do you continue to cultivate that? You can't yeah. stay on fire. Yeah, you right. can't. That first six months, like you said, you can't. You know, reenact. Yeah. You can't re. It's like it's like yeah. meeting your wife the first time. Yeah. You can't go back there. So, so continue. I don't want to interrupt yeah. so, that. Yeah. So, so I I fell into my old habits. But I had this guy who used to knock on my door every Sunday morning, say, "I'm going to church. Do you want to go?" The problem is, if you're drunk from Saturday night, you, you don't, don't want to go. It's it's almost like that. As soon as I get in shape, I'll go to the gym. As soon as I get sober, right. I'll go to church. And that that's one of the misnomers, I think, is that. You got to be good enough to go to church, or have the right clothes to go to church, or have the right bag, and you don't. I, it's I, the only two places in our culture where you have to be right before you feel good going there is the gym and the church. I, I wouldn't say, "Man, I'm so hungry," but I, I, as soon as I get fed, I'll go to the restaurant. You, you know, you know, I'm, I'm so entertained, but I, but as soon as I'm, I'm, I'm bored, I'll go, I'll go to the movies. Right. It's so why I, th- I think we've put way too much emphasis on, on well, maybe those are the morality. two places that people know they need to go most, but just don't. <laughs> yeah. But you know, <laughs> if the church is eating your broccoli and doing your biceps, something's missing. And, and I think if I'd have found a mandatory relationship, a religious relationship with a local church, I don't think it would have, I think I'd have found excuses not to go and gone less and less and so forth. But well, I found friendship. I found family. Right. I found people literally adopted me as a GI. Like, you're welcome to come sleep at our ranch in Texas. And I, I mean, I, I became one of their sons and we slaughtered the pigs together and we played with the puppies together. I mean, if it hadn't been for the Crumley family, which right. we'll never hear this, but it hadn't been for the Crumley family who adopted me, showed me what a husband and wife and a Bible and children in a home and you know really modeled it for me i don't i I can't say i'd be here today because that first step i mean something's born that's a miracle but it it takes something more to to grow into maturity and so you know the first breath is an exciting moment but there's a million breaths afterwards you need someone to teach you sure you know how to walk and how to eat and everything well and i think you've got to be open to it too i mean it's just like you know until you're ready you're not ready and no matter what people say you're not ready and and i always say you know the 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 highest form of, of human persuasion um, is figuring it out on your own, yeah. you know, and, and wanting and having that desire to do something differently. Yeah. And I think, you know, that self-reflection and, and sometimes I beat myself up, but my wife will say to me, why are you so hard on yourself about that? Cause you know, I'll say, yeah. and it could be relative to the Lord or, or other things. Cause I'm always self-reflecting on it. And sometimes yeah. you do it maybe a little bit too much. Right. Well, I think, you know, again, we talk about a cheap way to motivate people. Let's make them feel guilty. Sure. Let's create pain. If I, can, if I can heat up the chair you're sitting on, I can motivate you to move. Right. So, But I'm just going to move to the next chair and do the same thing. Yeah. And, and I think is, is the goal to move me or is the goal to actually be moved? Right. And, and that's where inspiration, relationship, consistency, mentoring, fathering, mothering. This is why, you know, you look at the Bible, the greatest people in Scripture all had a dad or a mentor. All of them. So that... You know, Joshua does great things that Moses wanted to do, but never, never got to. But Joshua had Moses. You know what I mean? Right. The disciples got to do things that Jesus always wanted to do, but his his time on earth was short. But he sent them out to complete that work. There's there's an, a long going thing. We need relationship. If if it if we didn't need relationship, Jesus would have said, "I wrote a book. Everybody read it." Instead, he said to his disciples, "Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men." So there's something in the in the dust on the road. There's something in the food as you sit around. There's something in the middle of the night when you hear a prayer. There's, there's, there's something about, about not just educating somebody, but sharing uh, life with them right. where iron sharpens iron. Yeah, no doubt. A lot, you said a lot of things in there that are, that are interesting. You know, on our first retreat, it was um, uh, fishers of men. You yeah. know, that we are fishers of men. The next one was iron sharpens iron. And that's mm. something we talk about here at the office a lot about iron sharpening iron. Yeah. And, and you know, when we talk about being a business elite, to me, that's never about, well, how much money do you have? It's yeah. about, you know, our, how are you treating other people with the platform that you're given? Yeah. So I'll ask you this question, because yeah. this is something that I struggle with. Yeah. You know, I know that, and, and, I've, and I'm, I'm able to say this today differently than I would have two years ago, because I've learned to embrace it a little bit. But I, I struggle with the platform that, that the Lord has given me. You know, mm-hmm. I know that it's there, and I don't ever want to be perceived as the guy in the billboard. Yeah. Because right. I am. Right, right. <laughs> I, I am perceived that way, even though that's not who I am. You know, people say, oh, look at that that guy. I, yeah. He, I always say he's a dork because I am a dork, but I'm fine <laughs> with it. But, you know, look at that guy. He thinks he's yeah. so cool. Yeah. It's difficult for me to embrace. And, and again, I can say this differently today than I could before because I've, I'm have i learning it, you know, I, and, and maybe it, more so than learning it, I'm just actually embracing it. Mm-hmm. But it, I still struggle with that. And so I say to you, you know, I, I struggle with taking the platform the Lord has given me 
and doing something bigger with it, Mm -hmm. which I am now doing. And one of the things that really propelled this is one of my mentors said to me, you know, um, in in regards to the the relationship with my mother and all of those things that I endured as a child and, you know, and, and, and continued with my, my dad is I always wanted to wait until my grandmother passed Mm -hmm. to share the story about my mom. And I still haven't fully shared it. You know, I know that it's slowly going to come out as we're doing these things and and bits and pieces of it have, but, um, you know, I, I thought I, I want my grandmother to pass first because I don't want her to know, you know, this burden that I carried until five years ago, my entire yeah. life, no one yeah. knew. Right, right. And, and so I didn't want my grandma to know. And well, now my grandmother's passed, God yeah. rest her soul. Yeah. And now it's, well, I don't want her sister and brother to know. Yeah. You know, and my mentor finally said, he said, you're worried about two when you can affect 20,000. Right. Or two thought you're worried about two and you can affect right. 2000. Stop it. Right. And you can share that story without without demonizing your your mother sure you know I, mean? I i don't know what happened john but i i'll bet you whatever it did whatever happened i bet you something like that happened to her that she was just as much a victim as she was a perpetrator you know what i'm saying and, and that's it doesn't make anything right but perspective helps us see where people are coming sure. from there's there's no excuses but there are reasons why well, people behave and, and ironically you know when i got sober the first time um, I, I like to get sober a lot, but when I got sober the first time, one of the things that I did now I'm trying to deal with all of this in real life because yeah. before, I mean, I started drinking when I was 13, yeah. you know, and so on and off all of my life, I was in, in that, you know, and, and I would yeah. have moments of, okay, I got to get focused, but then you're always drawn back. I was always drawn back in, yeah. but at this time yeah. I'm like, I really have to get my stuff together. Yeah. I didn't swear. Chris. Yeah. <laughs> it was right there. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and so I started going to counseling. Yeah. Well, the counselor knew my mother. He counseled her in high school. Okay. And I'm like, huh? And he Mm. said, yes. And he said, you know, she she was into a lot of drugs. And the kind of drugs they did then altered your mind. Yes, they did. And so it gave me a little bit of clarity. It made me understand a little bit. You know, and at that time I wasn't looking to necessarily forgive her because I didn't know what forgiveness truly meant. Right. Right. right, right, right. And, uh, And if you don't know what forgiveness truly means, then you're harboring something that you don't need to harbor. Right. Um, and so it was just interesting to hear that. It gave me some perspective, some maybe a yeah. little bit of clarity. Yeah. And again, I think it, understanding why people do what they do does not excuse what they've done. Sure. It hurts. It matters. It's wrong. But if I can understand that the person who cut me off in traffic and got out of his car and wants to beat me up had a father that was a violent man, now all of a sudden, instead of him being a real a-hole, and I didn't cuss, but I came close. You know what I mean? I'm proud of that. You. That was instead of him being a real a-hole, <laughs> you freed me and, a little and, and making me one. Now I go, okay, well that that guy's a victim of his environment. Like he sure. he he's so afraid that he has to puff himself up as a violent man to compensate for a man who was never going to strike him back anyway. I just if he'd had, have waved to me, I'd have waved back and been over with. But he was afraid, and fear fear needs power to not be afraid. Right. The quickest way to power is, you know, anger is never a primary emotion. It's only a secondary one. I'm jealous, so I became angry. I was afraid, so I became angry. I was hurt, so I became angry. So, you know, anytime, this is a good example that why people do what they do is often because something's been done to them. It doesn't excuse anything they've done. Right. But it helps us to understand that by the grace of God, we were the next generation of that being done as well. And if it hadn't been for the intervention and the forgiveness. Then we stop it. Dude, yeah, yeah. It's, it's and that's huge. There's no doubt continues. about it. Yeah, I mean that goes back to being raised on fear and guilt, you know, yeah. and shame is like, and and you know, I look at all of the stuff, the things that my dad said to me, you know, the belittling, and I love you, Dad. I know you're yeah. never going to hear this, but and <laughs> and he is, uh, a, you know, he's a great person, and and he's been saved by the Lord, and he's in a great place right now. Yeah. He's a pastoral committee. He's a lunch liaison. I mean, these love are it. things that yeah. that you know, he he lived at the VFW prior yeah. to that. Yeah. Um. And, uh, and so it's just, I don't know. I think it's really interesting when you can be open and when you can be thoughtful and when you can be intentful on understanding, okay, somebody else has pain too. Somebody else has been, I always say, you know, everybody has their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I really say shit. I have to say it. Everybody has their shit. I mean, yeah. they do. Everyone sure. does. And, and, you know, I think when people start to think that they're more important than somebody else or they're bigger than somebody else or they're, you know, that's why I embrace yeah. everybody every time I see people yeah. because I love people and, I, and yeah. I know that everybody has their stuff and it just, what a different world it would be if everybody were 
right? Mindful. The, the of older that. we get, the more understanding we are of humanity, right? The younger we are, the more idealistic we are. The more it's got to be this way. And right. if you don't, if you don't vote this way, or read this version of the Bible, or go to this church, I don't know anybody who's old that feels that way. You know what I mean? The older people tend to go, well, I live long enough through enough elections to realize politicians do what they do. Right. But, you know, I I remember being so upset about politics several years ago. An election went a different direction than I wanted it to go. And I was so upset about it. And I really felt like God spoke to me. And I don't say that lightly. I felt like God said, you're all upset about a national issue. You have one vote. You've cast it. You've got a kid across the street, though, that doesn't know how to play baseball. And you're so upset watching the news that you're ignoring it, a world you can involve yourself in and change. So go, go play catch with your son and invite the kid across the street to come over and play catch with you. And we, we chose to do that. You know, come join us. The news know? the news is not allowed on TV at our house. Yeah. Um, you know, occasionally when the in-laws <laughs> visit, the news is on and then it gets turned off. I, yeah. I believe it's, I mean, I just think, you know, I'm, poli- politics are goofy to me. Most people, most people to me do whatever their parents did. They yeah. never listened to their parents their entire life, but now they do what they did, yeah. you know, and without their own ideal on it. I just, I feel like there's not a lot of studying that goes into right. it. I just, well, yeah. I'll do what you did. Right. And then you could put this channel on because it tells you what you want to hear. Exactly. But that channel's bad because it tells it, but then the, every, but the other half of America is watching that channel because right. that, I mean, it's Polarizes just, everybody. It's very, it's very yeah. strange to me. When was the last time on TV you saw a sincere debate between two people of differing opinions that had goodwill towards each other? When was the last time an evolutionist and a creationist or an atheist and a, right. and a Catholic or a, it, it's not entertaining enough. What we have is people living in a beach house that are so immature, but they're oh physically gosh. beautiful to look at all getting, you know, in hot tubs together. Like it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's and, and the reason it's there is because there's a market for it. But literally I sat next to a TV executive on the, on a plane the other day and he said, so tell me what you'd want to see on TV. And I said, I would want to see two people of goodwill debating sincerely a topic he said it'll never happen it's, it's just not sexy enough it's not violent well, enough it's, i would agree with him i wouldn't want to watch that either. i said but, but know, i get what, your point whoever's proven wrong gets a pie in their face from a woman in a bikini can we just make everybody happy at that point i'm happy too and there was there was no way to do it uh, swearing let's talk about swearing because yeah. we, you know, we've already talked about it a little bit and i struggle with this and and chris chris will share with you i sent him a text while he was on vacation um i just was you know chris follows me around and videos and helps yeah. and does all kinds of stuff and when I'm passionate, when I'm in the moment, which is when I operate the best, I swear more. Mm-hmm. And it's like when I'm constantly thinking about that, I take myself out of the moment. Mm-hmm. How, how, how is that? How does God see that? How, because I, I had a, a client of mine one time who became a friend and, and uh, he said, you, you swear a lot. And I said, okay. He mm-hmm. said, well, the Lord, you know, I don't swear at all. And I said, okay. He said, well, the Lord came to me one day and said, don't swear. And I said, okay. Right. He hasn't told me that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I'm still conscious of it or conscious of it. You know, what is too much? How do you, I mean, seriously, because this yeah. is something that I struggle with, you know, especially now being on, being on, you know, on, on TV, essentially Facebook is television. So being on TV all the time, Yeah. it's, uh, I, you know, I want to, I want to be me, but I also don't want to have to think to not swear every second of the time that I'm talking to you like I am today. <laughs> right. I, you know, I, I think that certain behaviors have a fruitfulness, but again, like we talk about guilt and shame and pain. And I think, I think to scream at a kid that you're mad at and cuss words are coming out is actually verbal abuse. Yes. You know what I mean? I think when you're motivating a football team and, and you throw on a, a colorful adjective in, in a passionate moment, I think it. I think it illustrates this is an. Can you important, give us an example? No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just means this is an important moment. I'm I'm right. reaching for, you know, for every tool in my tool chest to get you to see you got to play better defense. You know, you need to get off your. Right. And, and and if you never cuss them, the one time you do, it's it's an exclamation point, bold print, all capital letters. But but I would say this. You know, the, what has God said about our language before the fall of man? Words are used for three reasons. They're used to create. They're used to bless and they're used to set in order. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and God said, let there be. You know what I mean? On the seventh day, you're going to rest. He put in order. Adam blessed, uh, or God blessed Adam and Eve said, be fruitful and multiply. So words before the fall really are just for creation, setting in order, and, and blessing. After the fall, immediately language is perverted. It's not me, it's the, it's the woman. No, it's not me, it's the snake. It's the blame and shame game with our, with our mouth. What is, describe the fall. So uh, the serpent comes to Eve and says, you know, did God really say? And Eve 
falls for it. Adam is there and he's right. silent. They both commit sin by doing what God, I mean, there's only one thing on the entire planet. I knew that by the way. I just yeah. wanted him to clarify yeah. it for There's only one thing on the entire planet that's forbidden. Like the whole 25,000 miles in every direction, go everywhere, do everything, see everything, swim everywhere, climb everything. The one thing you can't do because love always has to be a choice, has to be a preference. So the one thing that he said not to do is the one thing they did. You know what I mean? So those, and, those two. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad we're so much better than they are. We'd never do that. Right. <laughs> so, but I, I look at it and I, I just, after the fall, man, there's, there's all kinds of stuff. So I, I would say this rather than saying, I'm going to try not to cuss. Maybe we should say, how do I get my words to go back to the original created intent of language to create to set in order and to bless. If all we did every day was create, you know, the creative thinking, yep. we set in order. Hey, we're going to start at this time. We're going to that time. It costs this much money. This many people are going to show up and we blessed. You did a great job, son. You're, you're the most beautiful princess in the world, sweetie. You know what I mean? Yeah. If that's all we do with our language, I think we're money ahead than reaching for the colorful metaphors in the end. So, Most definitely. so to say, I, I'm going to reach for but this. To do that, you have to have buy-in from everybody, from that audience. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, what you said is sometimes, yeah. you know, when you, when that football coach is saying, get off your, yeah, he's really saying it to some of the room, not all of the room. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, and I think, you know, because, the team's because playing. Because if they were all off of it, you yeah. wouldn't have to use it. Right, yeah. I, I think, I think again, fear in that setting, in, in the military is a good example. I didn't play football. I was in the pet band. I wasn't an athlete. I was an athletic supporter is what I was told. So, but the, uh, in, in the, in that room, um, with, with my drill sergeant, he motivated me to do things I didn't know I could do. When I was done, he, he educated me through verbal stimulation <laughs> to, to, I was only about 40% of the way my capacity. And by the terror of having three, you know, drill instructors, dog and you're cussing out your mama and your ancestors and your dog <laughs> you all of a sudden you can do I, I could only do 20 of these now all of a sudden i can do 50 of these what, what just happened was i found a greater gear but and i think there's there was a time and a place for that but they're training you for war i mean they're they're training right, you exactly. for blood yeah they're not training and, you to, to so i don't I, I think there are extreme situations where language can be bent for purpose but i think if if every sentence has a colorful metaphor in it then it loses that benefit altogether. Sure. And then you're just kind of a potty mouth. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, just, you're kind of a guy who doesn't have self-control. You know what I mean? That's, so, great, that's a great way to put it. So I, I think if people are saying, John, man, I, I think you'd come across no, more professional. Not. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're well, saying that one friend or whatever. Yeah. Then, then I, I, someone's telling you something. Someone cares enough to tell you something. But I think instead of saying, I'm going to try not to cuss, I'm going to try to say something that's fruitful. And I think if you focus on the second one, the first one goes away. Sure. Right? Sure. I like it. Okay. What are some of your challenges being a pastor at a church? People. <laughs> Do you, so then you got to say swear. People. No. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a, there's a joke amongst pastors. The ministry would be so great yeah, if it wasn't for all the people. Uh, I think I think there's been keys, though. You talk about high-level, thoroughbred type stuff. Here's one. I am every man's servant, but I only have one master. And if I, in the course of time, frustrate the people that I am I am bent on serving because I'm obeying my master, I've still had a really good day. And opinions and social media opinions and likes and stars, they they come <laughs> they come and go, man. You know, people people that hate you are more likely to give you a review than people that love you because they love you. Everybody loves you. I don't even need, need to do it. You know, I go to a restaurant, right. I enjoy a meal. I don't think right. about putting in five stars. I but if I get a bad meal, it's like you know I need to make them pay for that. They should have done a better job. So I, I think we live in a world where one person can say something so hurtful that we'd rather not deal with it at all. And I, th- I think ignoring humanity is a fool's game, but I also think listening to humanity is a fool's game. Oh, no doubt. So, so what's, what's right, what's wrong? At the end of the day, you know, there's two things that I know God measures. I don't know if he measures dollars. I don't know if he measures days. I don't know if he, if he measures success in, in any, any way that I would. But I know this. I know that at the end of my life, I get to hear either well done, good, and faithful servant. So fidelity and quality are being measured, or I don't. I don't hear those words. So when I get to the end of the day, if I've been, if I, if the quality and the fidelity to what I believe God wants me to do with all my heart today is, is sound, then if I get a two-star review and the pastor joked around too much and he said, hey, hold on a podcast and I'm not going <laughs> to, you know, then you just see what, there's, there's about 3% of the people that are going to hate you no matter what. Unfortunately, they all have thumbs and they're all, they're all very brave on social media. The slacktivists, you know oh, what I mean? Sure. They're not activists, for they're sure. slacktivists. They don't do anything. They just complain about everything. So we, we live in a day and age where everybody can jump on what you've built and say you're the biggest idiot in the world. That's, that's hard. You know what I mean? 
But so I think you say, what's the hardest thing about anything today? It's it's, it's going to be people. people. Yeah. Well, it's the same with our business. I mean, you know, it's the the people are the reason why we do what we do because we love that that you know, like today, I I um I went over to a client of ours home and their home was already sold. The deal fell apart, mm. and I went over there to talk to her and mm. and you know hug her and spend time with her and console her and. Yeah. counsel her and then we end up moving a bunch of her furniture to get the house ready for the weekend so yeah. you know uh, that's why we do what we do and then the other part of the people is the people that backed out yeah you know three weeks in and yeah. so you know and and she was gracious and and you know and very kind sometimes yeah. that same exact situation you know i get yelled at yeah like I have somebody for something out of my control. Yeah. But again, there goes that anger again. They're angry yep. because something happened and to regain some sense of, I used, I used to be a cop. So if I'm not in control, then I'm in danger. There's only two things. Right. To do. I walk up on a car and I just pulled over. I don't know who's inside, what they've done. I just know their, their lights out. I walk up on that car. I'm either in complete control of that entire circumstance or I'm in danger for my life. And I have a, a goal to go home at the end of the day. That translates really into a lot of life. Um, and so as a pastor, I'm not in control. God's in control. Sure. And that's where faith comes in. Sure. I'm not in control. God's in control. But I, I still like to be in control. I am not a control freak, but I am a freak and I like a lot of control. That's that's a joke <laughs> on my staff. But it's true. You know what I mean? I, I want things a certain way, a certain quality, a certain caring to be seen. But I, I look at I look at, you know, what is what's the greatest joy of real estate, of pastoring? It's people. It's what's the, the people. greatest burden? What's the greatest pain? It's people People. well and then maybe that's what makes that win so much better is because it's still the people yeah you know what about books yeah what do you read for inspiration i'm reading a book actually right now by adam um adam ross rosselmeyer that spoke at the visions okay okay cool did i say his last name right i don't think so (laughs) adam adam from from uh ohio yes yeah 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 okay well rosselmeyer stuck in my head i'll get it in a second but but we already have a jen from ohio on our team now i gotta say adam from ohio (laughs) anyway shout out to adam um i spoke to him on the phone you know i just was very intrigued by him and wrist miller yes wrist miller and that goes back to one of the things that i mentioned earlier about embracing this platform and you know always wobbling with that but he sent me an awesome book it's called traction called to create okay he told me about Traction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't read that one yet. He's a big I, advocate of the book yeah, Traction. Yeah. yeah, and I haven't read Call to Create yet because I'm good yeah. for about a chapter a week because yeah. my reading is terrible. <laughs> um, but but that's a that's a book that I'm reading and trying to understand for you know to for some self improvement and reflection. So what are some books that you uh, would recommend or are yeah. reading now? I I go through spurts. I I go on binges of research and I'll get into something really scholarly for a year, and then I'll get a I'll, I'll, when I've read something. For the hundredth time, I can't find new information on it. I stop buying those books and reading those blogs and all that kind of stuff. And then I'll, I'll get into like entertaining reading on my vacation. I actually like to write. So a lot of my time that I would spend reading, I'm now, you know, I turned 52 years ago. So I'm, I'm starting to write more than, than read. Um, I, I like uh, business books a lot. I think that a lot of, I think people have thought a lot more about a dollar than they have about a soul. But if you just replace the word dollar with with you know, the word bill, friend, you know, right. neighbor, the, the words are still very true. So I, and if souls were dollars, we'd have won them all by now. And if there were votes, we'd have won 51% of them. Right. People don't think as much about their neighbor's soul as they do about, you know, the success in other sure. ways. Sure. So, so I love business books. I love entrepreneurial thought. I love Jeff Walker, um, platform university. I thought it was a great book. Um, all the stuff by, uh, what's his name? Tim Four hour work week. He's, He's a, you know what I'm talking about? He wrote the four hour work week. Um, he's got, he's got a great show on cable. He, he's, he's got a, a Chris will Google it. Yeah. 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 It's a Tim Ferriss. Tim yeah, Ferriss. Yeah. He's, he's a nut. I would want to go fishing with him for a week. I would not want to be his neighbor. You know what I mean? <laughs> he, he cheats to win and laughs about it, but I, I, he's, he's a genius. He might be an evil genius at times, but right. he's a genius. Um, I like, I like articles. I like smaller you know, I like chapters versus entire books as well. I like stories. Mark Twain is one of the wisest Have men. Have you ever to, read Old Yeller? No, I cried at the movie, so I, I didn't. Uh, it's about know. the only book I read until I was 30. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> Did you cry during the books? I cried at the Disney film. I saw it in the theater when I was a child. I thought, what kind of sick? You know, why, why'd, you, why'd you make it? And it's two, why would you bring your child to it? What's wrong with you guys? Let's go to the movies. It's a Disney film. It's what's about your, shooting dogs. What's your favorite Bible verse? And actually, let's just hear it. Yeah. Ephesians chapter. I just taught it this morning. I taught a round table for pastors. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's workmanship 
We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. What that tells me is nothing is an accident. Nothing. Every day is filled with purpose. It is uh, an adventure to be discovered. God has hidden nothing from me, but he's hidden everything for me. And I live on a perpetual Easter egg hunt for his blessings, for wisdom, for friends, for, you know, heaven on earth. It's a, it's, it's a brilliant, to me, it's a brilliant way to face every day that today is an adventure and God in his sovereignty before the foundations of the world has orchestrated all of life to encounter me today and me to encounter it today in a meaningful way. So I am, I am not an accident. Matter of fact, that, that scripture, you look at the timing of it, that he prepared in advance for us. So he didn't make me and try to find something for me to do. There was actually something for me to do that he created me to be. And Amen. it's, uh, I love that. I don't, yeah. I have no intentions of retiring. Why would you ever stop being on a scavenger hunt? Why'd you ever stop going garage sailing or fishing or hunting or whatever is you, you know, you're, you're, you just love that finding and discovering. So every day is a, a treasure hunt. I struggle with reading the Bible. I try and try and try, and I'm just not a good reader, as I mentioned. But um, Ronnie Metawar is a good friend of mine. He mm-hmm. said, you know, you're, you're a very good direction taker. Just read a proverb every day. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, I started reading those. I'm like, how could this be written so long ago? And it's exactly yeah. the correct today. Yeah. But the interesting thing is when my dad was sick in bed, I read a proverb to him every day. Yeah. And that yeah. was just such a blessing to be able to do that. And, you know, he would grunt and groan and not want to hear it initially. And I just kept reading and reading <laughs> yeah. and reading and reading. And, and, you know, it's just, uh, you know, the rest is history. I'd say this. I'd say what I do is I read until something hits me and then I stop reading and I let it hit me. Because I think, I think it wasn't created to be memorized as much as it was created to, to inspire us to live a certain way. So I read like, you know, I read the entire Bible in a year. I don't do that anymore. I did it to say I read right. it. But once I did it, I, I found at the end of it, it was drudgery. It was homework. It was, well, it was then, a chore. Yeah. And that's what's happens to me is I try to, you know, I, I'm going to read a chapter and then I don't remember a darn thing from right, it. Right. Right. I would rather memorize a word and think deeply about one word in one sentence in one paragraph in one book and actually live the word. I mean, if we read it for a purpose, we read it to say we did then I, I can check the box. If I read it to, to affect my life, it's a, it's a key to unlock right. everything I'm created to be, then, then again, it's another scavenger hunt. But again, I don't, I don't memor- I've memorized hundreds of verses. It was part of my discipling process was to memorize 10 verses a week for 52 weeks. So my final exam was 520 word-for-word scriptures from a brain that had been on acid all, all throughout the 80s, right? So now we're, now we're gonna figure this. But it, it was, I did it, and it's been bedrock for my life because now I don't, I don't need to have a book in front of me. I can drive down the road right. and say, what's my favorite scripture today? Like, what do I need to, to apply in this moment? So I would say if you, if you, you want to learn the Bible, what do you need God to say to you today? What topic? If you're interested in wisdom, then Proverbs, in comfort, then Psalms, in who Jesus is, you know, chapters 4, 5, and 6, the Sermon on the Mount, the book of Matthew, that, you know, if you want to get freaked out, the book of Revelation, you know what I mean? Just whatever, wherever your heart is, let, let God feed you where you're hungry and scratch you where you itch by that word. And now you are applying it because I, want, I was looking for an answer right. and I found it. I'll say this, Jesus was asked over 300 direct questions. He answered three of them directly. And everything else was answered with a parable, a question, a story, or some sort of, I'll ask you a question because right. you asked me a dumb question, I'm not going to answer it. You know what I mean? So, what he's doing is he's saying there's a, there's a the ground is filled with gold and here's a shovel. Now you're going to mine out because if I give you a gold ring that has a certain value. If you find the gold and you refine the nugget and you form the band and you put it on your finger, it's the same amount of gold but one has a very different value because of the process of gaining that. Does that make sense? Most definitely. Yeah. Tell us how do we get because my belief is that. Um, in the in in life in general we lack god we lack the understanding we lack the presence we lack the um you know the ability actually i think we lack the ability to be able to talk about it by law in a lot of in a lot of areas how do mm-hmm. we do you feel like that's start, i feel like i'm starting to hear more god and maybe it's just cuz i'm looking for it mm-hmm. but how do we break that down how do we get back to um, you know, I, 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 there aren't enough policemen, there aren't enough jails, there aren't enough of those things in the world. Yeah. You know, I always feel like people have to have a, a conscious will. They have to make a decision to do good mm-hmm. as opposed to be willing to do bad because, uh, you know, and there's got to be a higher power from that, right? Um, yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't, this is maybe a silly, silly use of words, but I don't not cheat on my wife because just of her, I 
not that I plan to or right. thinking about it, but I'm, I hold myself to a higher standard than that. I, I know that Jesus is watching me. Yeah. And so if, if, if that doesn't exist with anybody and all of these bad things are, are being done and occurring over and over and over, there aren't enough policemen, you know, and I feel like as Jesus yeah. disappears from our day to day, you can't replace it with enough policemen to police it. Right. Because we have to voluntarily choose, voluntarily choose to do the right thing. Yeah. And that choice seems like it's being made less and less. Yeah. I, you, as you look at the problems, you say, what's the solution? And if you say, well, if we had more police, then Flint wouldn't have the crime rate it does. But that's assuming that the crime rate exists because the foundational problem is not enough cops to catch people. But that's not the foundational reason. Correct. So you said, well, what's the reason? Well, the reason we could go down to say, well, the schools don't have enough money. So let's give them all another $100 million. Did we fix it? No. Now, now everybody's in a really nice school with bulletproof glass, but the bullets are still flying outside the school. So we didn't fix it. What's the reason? And as you get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, it comes down to the free will of mankind back to the Garden of Eden all the way to today. But to give somebody at least a fair chance. We, we said earlier, you know, I, I would a kid doesn't know this is abnormal. Uh, I, I didn't know that. I mean, I smoked dope when I was four years old for the first time. So I didn't, I couldn't write my Did own name. Did you eat name. Cheetos after? Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> but I couldn't write my own name, but I knew how to roll a joint. You right, know what I mean? Right. That was part of having hippie older brothers and sisters. That's normal. Getting caught and going to jail wasn't normal. Rolling a joint, smoking it, going to school in first grade is normal. What's, what happened was in our environments, things become normal. We, we have a, a, a church up in, uh, up in Flint that we've been with for, for years and years. They had two four-year-olds and, and the four-year-old, three, fours, and fives, two four-year-old male children that looked at each other across the room. One looked, the other one looked, and, and they didn't break off eye contact. They ran each other from across the room and started swinging at each other. We stopped him and said, what's going on? Well, he said, he, he disrespected me. He was right, looking at me and right. didn't look away. Well, what that was is he looked at me. I was afraid. I had to get angry. I started swinging. Now I'm powerful. I won, you know. And I, and I so can we fix can we fix this with more government money, more benefits, more? I, I think it, it doesn't hurt to help, but I also think that sometimes you got to get to the root, and the root is we're created for a heck of a lot more than scratching a living, you know, having more children to get a bigger government check, fathering more children, so I feel like more of a man. So if we're going to fix Flint, if we're going to fix Fenton, if we're going to fix Mayberry, if we're going to fix Hollywood, we, we have to start with what do we agree is actually true as a society and to lead towards it. Now, as a pastor, I believe that I've found the ultimate truth. You prove me wrong, I'll, I'll believe any other truth greater than Scripture, I'll embrace. I want what's best. If there's a God, and I believe there is, then what's best belongs to him, right? So if you show me through reality that there's certain things that are better than the Bible, I will stop to believe the Bible and I will believe what's better. Problem is I haven't found anything better. You know what I mean? I have found that everyone who embraces the truth of Scripture is changed by that truth. You know what I mean? Those who reject it, reject it, but those who embrace it are transformed by it. The renewing of their mind, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. You know, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is a renewing, a metamorphosis. The word renewing there is the word metamorphos. It means a metamorphosis. It's it's not like I, ah, I changed my mind. I'm going to vote this way. It's like I'm a changed mind, right. I'm, and I'm a changed man because I've changed my mind. So there's just a better way to live. And until everyone gets the opportunity to hear that better way to live, that I would call the gospel of Jesus Christ, then then they're they're living a normal life In their that, that really isn't normal. Right. Yeah. If it's normal to you know join a gang, if it's normal to join a church, you know at the end of the day, which one would we want for our daughter? For our son. Oh, for sure. You know? And probably they would say the same thing if yeah. they're doing it. Yeah. Let me ask you this, and this yeah. just kind of came about as we're having this conversation. It made me think of something. You know, um, we, we've already in, in some of our vlogs talked about, you know, religion in the business place. And, you know, I, I probably yeah. have, a, you know, a cross up and, and we pray before meetings. And, and uh, you know, and I think a lot of that came from, you know, me getting so close to God in that moment of, of that retreat and coming out of that and feeding that right back into the business place. And then, of course, taking some of the guys on the team on the retreat also yeah, didn't yeah. hurt six yeah. months later. <laughs> but, um, you know, we sent out a weekly a weekly email and you know, above the whiteboard is the, is the cross that is in our office. And so just kind of setting the stage for the, for whoever, whoever's listening. So I'm essentially videoed under the cross and, and it wasn't really intended that way. I wasn't avoiding it, but mm -hmm. it was just everything that I was talking about was on the whiteboard and the cross right. happened to be above. And I actually got a text from somebody 
one day, and it said, be careful mixing business and religion. And it was a screenshot of me standing under the cross. Yeah. And, uh, and I replied, I don't even know what the heck I was talking about. Um, <laughs> I put, and I, I'm reading the text now verbatim, God sent his only son. Mm-hmm. My belief is regardless of your religion, as long as it is a loving God, I will not judge that, and I don't expect to be judged. Mm-hmm. And Oh, boy. Was there a response? Nope, no response. Okay, okay. Interesting. And, and you know, so it's just one, that goes back to what I said earlier. You know, I, I, I know in throughout the world there are a lot of people that believe in different gods, mm-hmm. right? Um, sure. Some of them are clients of mine. Yeah. I have a different belief than they do, but I, as long as their God is a loving God, hmm. that go for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think, you know, the, the, I think what people are saying when they say, be careful of mixing religion with the workplace is they've had a bad experience with religion or, or there's been a hypocrisy amongst the religious that were in business or, you know, the fish on the business card, you know what I mean? The little Christian symbol fish or the, the cross or whatever. I, I think there's an expectation of a higher level of morality, service, integrity when that's on there. Um, I, I, so, and I think people may have been burned by people who networked because I go to church, you go to church, gotcha. and, they're, and they're not, they're common. But I, I, I think I would say, you know, for anyone to say to you, John, what is most important to you should be left out. I never want to see a picture of your wife again. I don't care if you love her and you have a relationship <laughs> with her. It, it offends me. And the whole world likes brunettes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She offends me, and I, I don't care. It's like, well, then, you know, you're asking me not to to hide my wife. You're asking me not to be me. Well, well so here, here's something really neat too. Like, and again, because I didn't have any of this foundation growing up, this stuff is all I see this differently than I think a lot of people that started in yeah. this religion or that religion or this religion. So the next thing was um, at Christmas time. I send out every year a postcard to all of the people that we've we, you know we've had the blessing to serve, and also to certain communities that we serve often, and uh, you know it's a Christmas card, and and in our email, Merry Christmas, yeah. and people would say, oh, I'm so glad you put Christmas on there, and I'm like, You're right. What else am I going to put? Or, yeah. But I didn't yeah. even know that, right? So I'm like, yeah. well, what else would I put? It's Christmas time. Yeah, right. You know, so I finally, yeah. I, I, one of the guys that emailed me, I, re, I called them. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're like the fifth per- the person yeah. that said this. It's like, yeah. well, because a lot of people would just put holidays because they don't want to offend anybody. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's way too much to think about with all of yeah. this stuff. I just know yeah. it's Christmas. There's gifts coming. Um, and now that I've that was enlightened to that, it's yeah. Christ mass and everything that I put. Yeah, right. <laughs> Truly. It, you know, we, we live in a day where there's literally an outrage culture. You know, people are outraged. And, and, and the most outrageous thing is that anyone would judge anyone. Like, how dare you? It's funny how it doesn't, it doesn't come back the opposite way. If I were to say, you know, all Republicans, all Democrats, all this color, all this nationality, all this... You know what I mean? There would be people that would have legitimate outrage. How dare you say that? I'm I'm of that political persuasion. I have that color skin. I'm. You know what I mean? So the only thing that that really you know isn't that way was hey we need to minimize you know the the, the Christian Judeo you know message or whatever. And I I I don't care. I you know what I mean? Like I, right. if I get a card from you, it tells me something about you. And if that something is true then you should put Christmas, Christmas, whatever. And if it's not true, if it's a marketing scheme, then, you know, shame on the person that puts a cross on their card that's not going to live what that cross stands for, right? right? And, so, and, and and to that, none of us can every single day be perfect inside of that, no. right? And so, you know, it's like, if I swear, do I believe in God less? Of course not, right? But when you're, when you're, when you're in a position like we are in here, mm-hmm. you're judged on that often. Sure. Which... You know, I think God put us in this position because our shoulders can bear it. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and I'm fine with it. So, all right, well, let's just. Uh, I think we've gone on, a, and we could do this. I think all day, and it's been awesome having you here. Give me your definition of a thoroughbred, an elite or first class person. What does that yeah. mean to you? I think that the clues to you know back to Ephesians two ten that uh, we're God's workmanship. You know, we're created in Christ Jesus to do good work. So there's a destiny, there's a destination, there's a purpose for us. I think the people that I know that are accomplishing that have answered three questions that really speaks to their why. And that is, what am I most passionate about? What causes me the most pain? And at what do I have the most proficiency? If you think of those things as three circles that overlap, like like the Olympic flag has three circles, there, there emerges where those three circles overlap a sweet spot. I'm passionate about it. It thrills me. 
Uh, it, it gives me pain. It kills me. You know, I'm proficient at it. it. It fills me. This is my destiny. For me to say, I was always talking in class, and it was always against the rules until I became the teacher. Now it's what I do. You know what I mean? Right. I had every teacher notice my verbal gift. They wrote on a report card and asked my parents to beat me out of it. You know what I mean? Just just beat this thing out of me. And it, it didn't happen because that's what I was created to do was to talk. Right. You know what I mean? So the thoroughbred to me is not the one, like you're saying, that they have the most money in the room. That That's great. But beyond money, there's a satisfaction of doing what you're created to do. You take a thoroughbred horse and you hook him up to a plow and you're wasting something. Now, maybe that plow and that horse creates the, you know, the, the, the bottom land and the, the, the crop and the, but that horse isn't happy. Right. It might be prosperous, but it's not happy. So to me, the thoroughbred, if you are passionate about what you do and you wake up every morning excited to do it on some level, if it kills you, if there's pain involved because the greatest superpower we try to ignore is pain. I, if I were you, I would say, you know, you saw somebody ripped off by a realtor. You're like, I will never let that happen. Like that, that hurts that the name realtor, the title realtor oh, for sure. might be suspected instead of respected because of the behavior of others. So I will be with the utmost integrity because it kills me that people think they can't trust a realtor for sure. And you're proficient at it. You love people, the legal documents. Yes. I'm in the right team, place. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so I think those are the thoroughbreds, the people that find themselves always do better than the people that are doing their imitation of a successful person they hope to be like. So we can glean things from people, but we can't imitate them and be who we're created to be. Well, and, and I think that's the trouble with anything is that when you th- you see something bright and shiny and you're just going to get into it because like real estate, right? Right yeah. now, the market's obviously hot. I'm going to get into real estate. Yeah. But you really don't have that deep burning passion for it. Yeah. It's probably there's not a lot of longevity in that. Yeah. But I always think about, you know, people when they say, oh, do you know so-and-so? And I have said this before because it happens, you know, not a lot, but occasionally. Do you know so-and-so? No, I don't. Oh, he owns this and that and it's got all kinds of money and i will say to them i don't give a yeah yeah right <laughs> what they own yeah. are they a good person yeah yeah who are they not what exactly are they yeah. so well yeah. tell us real real quickly yeah. um freedom center yeah when are the services yeah freedom center is 2473 west shiawassee so one block from where we're sitting right now in your office area here and uh, services are at nine o'clock sunday morning and eleven thirty. Sunday morning as well. We have a, a live stream broadcast. Go to our website, TFC, like the Freedom Center, tfconline.church, and um, and you'll you'll see our, our stuff. Check it out. Sit at home in your underwear and watch it. And and if it looks like something you're interested in, come and join us. Put your clothes on, but come and join us. I, I got to share real quick because uh, the last time I was there, and I shared the story with you after yeah. after service. So my wife was on vacation in Florida with the kids, and um, you know I I you know. I'm trying to get healthy and I'm, you know, uh, on this, this train of not drinking and, you know, and, and working out all the time. And at the service that day, I wanted to, I, I went that day in particular cause I just wanted to be in the music, you know, that, that mm-hmm. we always start with, with music initially yeah, and then yeah. we transition. And as I'm there, they, they, they announced father or pastor Jim announces it's going to be all music. So just enjoy the worship. Yeah. And man, it was great. You know, I'm there with my friends, I'm crying a little bit. And then you'd come up and you'd ask a couple of questions. And if, you know, one of the things was, if there's anything that's on your heart that you want to want to pray for da, 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 da. Yeah. And in my mind, I was praying for my wife. You know, I just, uh, I wanted her to embrace, you know, it's hard for me to be on this health kick by myself, but right. more so I wanted her to embrace it for her. And, uh, you know, an hour later, I'm driving down the road and she texts me. Now, mind you, she's on a beach in Florida with probably a pina colada in her hand. Right. So it would be the least <laughs> opportune time for her to text me this. And, yeah. she, and, and I've never prayed hard on this during yeah. the service, right? And she texts me. She said, set up the personal trainer. I need to get in shape. Now, yeah. honestly, I'm driving, so I just glimpsed at it. Yeah. I thought she was talking about when it said trainer. I thought she was talking about get a trainer for our dog. Right. <laughs> Literally, because we yeah. were talking about it. Yeah. And uh, and then when I actually read it, I just mm. was moved to tears. Yeah. And, you know, it was like, holy cow. It was just, it was, yeah. it was amazing. And so, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of amazing things happen when our when our eyes and hearts are yeah. open. You let God be God; He's really good at it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I love you. I yeah, appreciate you everything you do for for the community and for the church and right. for all of us. So thank you. Thanks. Thanks.